Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast and invites recent design grads to be candid about their experience in design education and building their career in creative industries. We are also visited by industry professionals willing to share their wisdom on getting started in creative advertising and the related fields. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Whiteboard Podcast. The guest today is Nicole Shin. Nicole is a graduate of Humber's Advertising Graphic Design Program, and she's also an art director at Zulu Alpha Kilo here in Toronto. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. Thanks for coming on. I'm really interested to hear your story in this in this industry and also your story before this industry. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, did not even know that advertising was a job. And I was like, wait, why are we learning about ads? <laughs> I realized that it was an advertising graphic design program, but I really mainly just joined for graphic design and not necessarily because I had an interest in or advertising as an industry. Actually, you know what? I also joined, cared more about the graphic design. And at the time, I was like working full time and trying to figure out my career and what I wanted to do. And it was the middle of the pandemic as well. So I was like, okay, well, I'm interested in graphic design. I saw graphic design in the name and it doesn't require a portfolio. So I'm going to register. How come you didn't have a portfolio? I did schooling before this. I was at George Brown for human resources. And I had joined clubs and made flyers and pamphlets and stuff like that. But I didn't feel like it was good enough for submission. And there was it was never like populated on a website or PDF. And then you actually ended up working as an art director. Did you just fall into that or did you actively choose that while you were while you were studying? I always thought I would be a graphic designer. And then as I learned more about kind of the difference between an art director and a graphic designer, I realized that my skill sets lied more in art direction and that was more what I was interested in. And then in terms of my job as an art director, I guess I kind of fell into my lap a bit. Um, in one of our classes, our CEO or CFO, um, Zach had come in and he gave us a brief and it was to come up with a way to promote ourselves to an agency that we really wanted to work at. And I think like 10 people got chosen and we got to present to Zach on a Zoom call, and he really liked mine. I ended up winning, I guess, <laughs> and he offered me a full-time job without any kind of interview. He didn't, I don't think he looked at my portfolio either, because at the time I was still working on my portfolio to try to get an internship, and then that's just kind of how I got started in this industry. That's pretty, pretty cool. It's pretty good, I think. No, I know. And I, I know I'm very lucky. It's kind of wild like that you didn't just phone in that assignment, especially because th they said we are not hiring. To be quite honest, I remember I was thinking about phoning it in because it was like near the end of our, our program. It was like in the last semester. There was no prize or anything to be won. It essentially was just an assignment. And I was also working full time. So it was a lot. And, and a lot of the self-promotion examples that were shared and shown to us seemed to be very kind of like loud. And some of them were like stunts, essentially, where people were like showing up to agencies and, and promoting themselves. And I, I just like that. That's not true to me. So I was like, I can't do that. Like, I'm definitely not gonna not gonna do well on this project. And it was something I had accepted. And then 
the night before, literally, I, like, took an, a nap before I got this done, like, super last minute, and I I had, like, dreamed of <laughs> what, what I was gonna do, and I, and I woke up, and I was like, wait, that's a really great idea, and then I changed my, like, my entire project and what I was gonna do last minute. I, I, I studied literature, and I definitely wrote essays in my sleep and then woke up, and I was like, <laughs> oh, man, I know what I'm gonna do for this paper. Um, <laughs> I get it. What, what did you end up doing uh, for your self-promotion piece? When we had presented to Zach, actually, he threw a bit of a curveball where we were all like ready to present our ideas. And then he was like, I don't want to hear anything. I just want to see it first before you speak on it. Because if the idea is good enough, then you shouldn't have to explain it. And you know what? He, he was completely right. Like, <laughs> so yeah, my idea essentially was this box. And when you opened it, there was a paper crane. And when you look underneath the crane, there's a note and it said paper cranes in my culture represent good luck and success. And if you fold a thousand of them, then you're able to make one wish come true. And my wish was to join Rethink and fold 999 more to to make my dream come true. Um, And then once you unfold that crane, you would get a QR code to my portfolio. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and what, so what did what did, did Zach unpack that at all? Did he have what did he say? And he didn't really need me to explain it. He just really liked it right off the bat and was like, you know, I, I like that it stayed true to you. Spoke a little bit about your culture. Um, was impactful, and I could tell that you would be a really hard worker just based off that. And then he asked me a bunch of questions about like what I did before this, like what I studied. Um, and if I was an art director or a graphic designer, and I remember thinking in my head, like very quickly, um, like, oh, okay, I'm going to say art direction because they had told us that we would kind of have to make a choice between if we wanted to do art direction or if we wanted to do graphic design. That was really like the time that I made that final decision was when I told Zach when he had asked me and I was like, oh, I'm an art director. And then that kind of solidified it. And, and I am an art director now. So yeah, it's amazing how we do everything we can to be pragmatic and make choices. But so much in life just kind of happens. It's really true. Like I like made a choice to join Humber and then I made a choice to be an art director and not phone in my assignment. And then I'm here yeah. now in a full time job as an art director. <laughs> you know, I'm really glad you told the story the way you did, because I feel like I feel like as time goes by, if someone asks you to retell something that happened, people tend to add a certain level of uh, self-aware purpose to the retelling that maybe wasn't there. Like most of my life has been an accident. I can admit that. But I find often even knowing that most of my life has been an accident, I tend to act like I had certain amount of agency that I did it. <laughs> In reality, I was just fumbling through like that totally was it. Like I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. And even in the program, I was like, wait, do I do I want to do this? And I've had so many different careers before I landed in art direction, but I, I'm here now. So Yeah. At the same time, you did take the reins on certain things, wouldn't you say? Yeah, one hundred percent. Like I think because I had done school before, I took the program a bit more seriously and I cared more about the learning outcome more than my grades, which having that kind of focus, I think I was able to get a lot more out of the program. Grades are a metric, not a goal. Exactly. And that's 100% correct, especially in in a creative program like this, I think. In a lot of ways, I find it unfortunate that we even have grades. It depends how you take that. Like, oh, okay, this is a way for me to improve my grades are, are horrible. Or maybe it's 
a sign that I shouldn't be in this program. Like, I don't know how people take it, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking that if I had joined as a freshly graduated high school student into this program, I would have been a lot more discouraged and maybe I wouldn't actually have finished the program. Maybe I would have shifted to something else. And also to join during a pandemic where you're fully remote, I think it's harder as well because it's purely online, like all of your interactions. I guess, Nicole, you did basically only one month on campus, right? It was actually a hybrid model in that last semester. Like some Mm -hmm. days we were allowed to just work remotely or study remotely. And then some days we would come into class. I remember nobody came like like, there was like a, a group of like five or 10 people who would come out of classes of 20 and 30. I mean, we had done so much of the program online already and just switching to in person in the last semester, like some people just didn't see a point. But I think there is a lot of value to being face to face with your peers. And that's why like I always showed up to those classes when when it was um, in person. My class, I think they did a really good job actually, like navigating having this program online and still being able to foster and build relationships um, outside of class. And I'm still in touch with actually a lot of the people from from class, from the Humber program. That's good. That's great to hear. Because I mean, obviously, networking is such a huge component of the advertising and design world. I remember when I was first starting my internship search, I was like searching on LinkedIn and Indeed, um, and so were my peers as well. But I landed this job because Zach was able to see me face to face, or I guess on Zoom virtually, um, and see my work. Had I gone through like the formal channel and I had clicked apply on LinkedIn and sent over my portfolio and my resume and my cover letter, I don't know that I would have landed the job at Zulu. I actually think I wouldn't have. It's definitely advantageous to have like a, like a one-on-one connection and a spotlight rather than be one resume in an inbox full of hundreds. I don't even think my portfolio at the time was really great. Like it was like not even done. I don't even think I ended up finishing it. So yeah, networking is like, I think that's the key to to landing a job in this industry really. Yeah, I have to agree. Like of all my jobs, only one of them was a direct apply through a job portal, having no contact there. We've all done it. You're up till 3am on Indeed and LinkedIn, like applying, applying, applying to companies you've never heard of. Yeah. Only one of my jobs has been through that route. Every other job, there was some kind of connection. Exactly. And when I was applying to internships, Eric, you so graciously referred me to, um, agency Miranda Botilia at 1213 awesome guy amazing and I I was very close to to getting an internship there but when I was letting Randall know that I you know I had gotten the job at Zulu and I was going to take that offer that if the position was still open then I I would refer you know some of my classmates and in the end I ended up actually referring somebody um just goes to show like how big your network is and how important networking is to finding a job helping someone else is looking out for yourself because your peers today are your leaders tomorrow and I don't think people will forget when you throw a name out for them a hundred percent build strong connections with peers because those could be our our future network a lot of grads who graduated from these programs have found a lot of success and and they're the type of people that you you would want in your network you always seemed like you had your life together like, totally not. but i also remember one time 
I sent you a meal. I was like, hey, I didn't get this assignment from you. And you basically just said, I'm willing to take the zero. Like, <laughs> I mean, you already had a good grade in the course and it was a minor assignment. But it made me laugh because I was like, okay, here's someone who has figured out their priorities. And, you know, you've already talked about how grades aren't everything. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. I remember. I remember you sending me that email and me like taking a second to think like, hmm, how do I respond to this? <laughs> uh, at the time, I didn't even have like the bandwidth to really come up with a better excuse. And it was just the truth. Like I was like, I don't care about getting a zero. And it's not that I don't care about this course at all. In fact, like the most valuable things I learned were in your classes. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> of course. It's like I wasn't going to fail your class if I got a zero on this project. I mean, I don't like to encourage people to not take some assignments seriously in school because if the instructor put it there, it's because they think you should know it. But the, sure. the choice of like, how much energy do I put into this or that is a choice as a freelancer I have to make all the time. Like, you know, a, a contract comes across my desk and I have to say, do I have bandwidth for this? Do I have not just time? Do I have the emotional bandwidth for this? In a way, that is a learning outcome especially because this industry will take and take and take and take from you up until the point that you say no. And that was one of the things that I learned when I joined the agency. The key thing that you need to kind of learn to do is to pick your battles and know like where to exert your energy. And it, it's true. Like, for example, if you're just working on a simple like templated banner ad, you don't mm -hmm. want to like stress about something like that as opposed to like a 360 campaign. If you are stressing about those minor projects, which you'll have a lot of, you're not gonna be able to exert creative energy on something that's a bit more important that you actually want for your book. Yeah. I think the same thing applies like for for the assignments that you get in class, not to say to not do it in phone in, but I, I think more so just the energy that you're exerting and the stress that you're putting onto it. I guess a lot of it is this idea of like, oh, what choice do I make? And what are my priorities? And where do I want to go? It's more a question of being able to recognize what is a worthwhile investment, even if you don't know, like the final outcome of that. For example, even if you didn't know you wanted to work, work at Zulu, even if you didn't know you wanted to work, be an art director, you recognize that this specific project is worth investing time in. Somehow you intuitively knew that. And this assignment for Eric was not worth investing your time in. And you instinctively knew that. So I feel like. It's all about just knowing I should spend time and energy on this, even if I'm not certain of why. I think that's really true, especially in this program at Humber, because you learn so many aspects of the creative industry. Like we're not going in just learning graphic design. We're also learning about like concepting, thinking, copywriting, and coming up with briefs, which is like more of an accounts job. We also learned like motion graphics and UX and UI design. You're learning every little facet of the creative industry. And so you need to figure out where your interests lie, like what your passion is and, and kind of, I think, focus your time on that. Because once you graduate, you're not going to be all those things. You're not going to be a UX UI designer and an art director, and an accounts manager, and a production designer. Like, you have an entire team to, to help you with those things. How do you feel about that in retrospect? Like, I know that we throw so much at students, and it's not really just Humber. It's many, many design programs do this. The thinking is, nobody should ever graduate saying, why didn't you expose me to 
thing. But at the same time, I also know that we're exposing people to so many things that no one needs all of those things. How do you feel about that decision to say a little bit of everything versus focus? There are so many titles within the creative industry. No one actually teaches you what each one does. For example, I worked on my first project and it was just a bunch of, I think, social posts for one of our brands. And there was a producer and a production designer um, and then, of course, our CD and the accounts person. And I had always thought that a uh, a producer was the person that was producing the final outcome. Like if I had created a social post, it would go into production. And so I remember I messaged the producer asking a Photoshop question and he couldn't really help me. And I was like, wait, why? Why doesn't he really know Photoshop? Like, isn't he the Photoshop pro? Like, he's the one that's making it, like, print ready <laughs> and everything. And then I asked, like, my CD, and he's like, no, that's not what a producer does. I was like, mm -hmm. what? I didn't know that. <laughs> the titles can even vary from place to place. Same title, completely different jo job description. And there's so many different variations, too. Like, there's digital producer and print producer. and Yeah, and sound likes print producer, print production production design exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. i still don't think i know all of them i'm learning as i go so agencies there's a lot of different titles and there's a lot of different acronyms and what's it like working in an agency so you really do get thrown right into the work like when i had joined i got paired up with my copywriter partner who was also a recent grad of the humber copywriter program and our very first brief that we got was an activation brief. Do you want to tell us what an activation brief is? Yes. I didn't know what an activation meant. I remember when they briefed us and they're like, you guys are going to do an activation. My partner was like, yay, amazing. And then after I was like, what's an activation? And she goes, I actually don't know, but I'm going to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we ended up Googling it. And essentially it's just another word for a stunt. Um, and so our brief was a stunt for one of our clients. That was our very first project together. Nobody told us anything about the process or how it worked. And so we just kind of created our own little slide deck on PowerPoint and made mini mock-ups of our ideas. We also had no idea how many ideas we were supposed to have that we pitched to our creative director. So we just asked around and everyone gave us different answers. And it sounds like it just depends on which creative director you're presenting to. Like yep. some creative directors only want to see your top three. Some creative directors want to see your top five. Some creative directors don't care. They want to see as many as you can share. I think we landed on like 10 different ideas that we ended up presenting to a creative director. Um, and they really liked it. We went through a couple rounds of feedback. That's another thing that I didn't realize was back that you can go through when you present an idea um, yeah. and not just feedback from your creative director, but you get feedback from your accounts team. You get feedback from the client as well. So you'll mm -hmm. be doing a lot of revisions and adjusting to all that kind of different feedback that you get from each aspect of your team, which you don't really learn in school because you just kind of do the project and you get feedback from your professor and then it's it's a grade, right, at the end of it. Nicole, what's the kind of feedback that you would get from uh, an accounts person 
An accounts person deals more with like the clients ask. So it would be like, oh, that's not, doesn't really fit on brand. So maybe we shouldn't go in this direction or we can't use that kind of like wording or it doesn't fit in like the brand guidelines for the design, um, things like that. Like really looking out for the client, whereas the creative director is looking out for the idea and and the creativity and how effective it is and how creative it is. Maybe maybe as a, an instructor, when I give feedback, I have to say, this is what the CD might say. And this is what the accounts person might say. And this is what like, I, I think I could do a better job breaking that up of like why I'm giving a specific feedback. You have to consider all those aspects when you're coming up with these, these ideas and the executions. So I think it's okay if you just lump them all into one and give like all of your feedback all together. I think the hardest thing for me was just going through all the different rounds of feedback because feedback doesn't just mean like, oh, this is what you should revise on your idea. It's like, oh, this idea doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z. Let's kill it and come up with five more new ideas. And Mm -hmm. you go through rounds and rounds of that sometimes. And by the end, you've come up with like a hundred ideas and killed what else can I come up with in my brain? This is a problem with the grades and the education model, because sometimes it's like I see something and I, I'll give students 60 and they're like, how do I take this to an 80 or a 90? And it's like, you can't. This idea is garbage and it will never be like the best version of this execution doesn't work. Exactly. And yeah, that, yeah you have to kind of just learn to give up on on those ideas that don't work like a lot of this industry is just hearing a lot of no's before hearing a yes and you have to get used yes i i've had more ideas killed than than survived and it's not always necessarily because your ideas are bad as well because these are real life clients and Mm -hmm. there's budgets attached to your work and there's the whole brand guidelines that you have to follow there's legal teams to consider it's it's a lot more challenging than when you're doing a project in school and it looks pretty and you you get a good grade but I don't think we really consider those things when we're doing school projects there's no such thing as like oh here's the brand guideline book follow it here's the legal requirements follow that and hear all the creative requirements and client requirements. I understand you have confidentiality requirements. I'm wondering if you can share some examples of like what could shoot down a good idea on like legal or or account issues. (laughs) I can think of so many. I actually don't really know what I am allowed to share and what I'm not. Okay, you know what? You just jogged my memory. I, I, I used to work at a law firm in their marketing department. Their logo is a series of concentric circles, but they're slightly offset. So it kind of makes like a swirl into, into a center, like focus on the center. And it was called the super graphic, but it was also called the loop because they had two names for it. It had to be on every single every single execution and it had to draw attention to whatever was important. And it should also connect to the copy. But like the number of things you can do where you're focusing on one visual thing and using the super graphic to draw attention to it is not, it's pretty limiting. It is very limiting. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it reminds me of what you were describing. Exactly it. And, you know, I guess like the bright side is like maybe it'll make you a better designer because that will always be the aspect of 
designing in real life is that you'll have those real life constraints that you have to work within and you're always going to be working for a client and not yourself. So you have to factor in what their wants and their needs are. I hope it helps students realize when instructors are like, the brief says to do this and you did something else. It's kind of like, this is one of the reasons why that enforcement is there because that is reflective of certain realities. That's really how it works in the real world is like, there's so many constraints that you have to follow. And if you don't follow it, it's not a grade that you get in the end. It's a no. And then all of your work is killed and you got to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I, I can share. And man, I can share another one. I, I was doing for the police. I was doing this magazine in celebration of their 50th anniversary. And we needed the cover shot like for this magazine. We had this photo where like it's just officers dressed in their uniforms and the public. And it like it hit all the notes. You're like, we have diversity in here. Everyone's smiling. It's beautiful out. It's well lit. Like everything is perfect for this cover photo. But then there was like one person in it who had done something they weren't supposed to. Uh, and I was like, I can Photoshop their head out. And they're like, we are not using that photo. So in the end, it ended up being some photo where we like bashed together all these things to hit all of those notes that, you know, marketing of the police service is like super important because, yeah, you know, just like anything else, they're trying to get people on board with what they're doing. And that's sometimes quite difficult. So to hit all of these requirements, it just became a, a mess because that one cop had done something that he, he wasn't supposed to. Wait, why would they not let you Photoshop this one person if the rest of the image was fine? It's the era of the internet and very few photos only exist in one person's drawer or one person's album. So, you know, if this if this magazine was released and then someone noticed that this person had been changed, you can imagine the headline in the local paper. Uh, police service photoshops out the face of this person who is like persona non grata, right? <laughs> right. Th these are the things that the accounts people and the legal people, among other things, are are really thinking about. I'm glad they're there to think about it because, yeah, I would have I would have not thought of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, look at look at what happened with Budweiser. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's everywhere. Yeah, and like it's like all they did was send the woman a beer. It like it's not. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they started like the Budweiser Foundation for trans people, like they just sent the lady a beer. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know, maybe maybe there was a voice in the room. This is conflicting for me because as, as a marketer, I'm saying there should have been a voice in the room saying this is going to piss off our base. For sure, yeah. But as a human being, I'm like, well, screw the base. It's that kind of thing. Maybe they're trying to reach a broader audience. <laughs> Clearly, they were trying to grow their audience or you know maybe they just had too much faith in kid rock i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but like you're what you were telling me about the the police magazine just reminded me of like another c constraint that you're working with that i didn't realize was working with stock imagery oh when you have to fit all of those diversity requirements oh, is, yeah it is so hard to find every single requirement they're looking for in stock imagery because it does not exist. I don't want anyone to get the idea that we don't think this is a worthwhile endeavor. It is. It is, no, right? No, Representation no. is worth it. But it's one of those things where someone on the team is saying, we need to do this. And they're right. They're right. But that is like definitely a market that I don't know why no one like taken advantage of it and started a stock imagery website with actual diversity 
because the websites that we're using is it's not enough. There's not enough imagery that we can pull from to actually have diversity in, in our ads. I guess, you know, what really drives me nuts is if you said to that client, well, for a thousand bucks, I'll go take that photo. All of a sudden it's like, no, no, no. Use the other, like, I just, I get frustrated because people aren't often willing to put the money in. Oh, 100% because, okay, they want all these requirements. We can't do it by stock. They're going to have to set up a shoot and do it. I feel like in this information age, like it, there should be a way to get it done, but I don't know. I was thinking like maybe one day AI will become advanced enough where those images will look realistic and you'll be able to just create your own stock imagery. That is one of the promises of AI, especially for comps, like, Mm -hmm. you know, because it doesn't like right now the hands come out all strange, but (laughs) uh, for a comp, it doesn't really matter. It's evolving a lot. Have you seen Canva's AI? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really interesting that like you can upload a photo of yourself and you can basically mark up like your shirt and you can type in what you want. And let's say you're wearing like just a sweatshirt and you're like, okay, I want to use this for a nice headshot on LinkedIn. And you search up like a white shirt and blazer. It'll put that on for you in like a matter of seconds. Wow. And give you different versions and change the background for you. And it actually, it looks pretty realistic. And it would take like some time for somebody to Photoshop that and probably like money. But this is on a free service. It would take time and it would take money. Maybe I've told you this story, but a number of years ago, I I was tasked with close cropping 1500 bio photos that ended up being um, it took a month. We had to call like vitamin T and Upwork and get half a dozen freelancers. And it was five or six people working um, a month on it. And that was just close cropping these 1500 photos, cutting around their hair, their body, putting them on a white background sizing them all so they're about the same size and you know if that can now be done with ai that's a whole lot of labor hours that designers won't be allowed to bill i mean hopefully with that you can also save some time and use that time doing more fun creative things that that's what i'm hoping that the rise of ai will do less time spent on banner ads and more time doing activation briefs I just trialed a tool called Flexitive where it automatically generates all of your banner ads in all of the different sizes. You just upload your H1, your body, your hero shot, your logo and your background and and it uh, extrapolates that over, you know, pre-made templates of all different sizes, which is again, which is cool, but that's a week's worth of labor that I don't get to bill now. And how was like the output? Was it something like to the caliber of an actual human designer? Well, you know how before when you were saying Sometimes you don't need to spend that long on on a banner ad. Yes. Accepting that is fine. It's totally fine. Again, because like a, a banner ad that someone's not even going to look at, they're going to click accidentally when they try to hit the X. Yes. You know, it doesn't matter as long as the logo is visible and the product is clear and the headline is clear. Those yeah. are really the design requirements. No one is looking for a Rembrandt. And so under that criteria, it's more than adequate. Now, something people don't really realize with with that particular product is if you understand smart layers and if you understand data merge, Photoshop is already capable of that. It's just that nobody's built a nice and friendly UI around it. And it's only people with, you know, a decade of experience who know how to do that. The strange thing is it's not new. Even I don't know that. Like, you know about smart layers. 
Yeah, but I didn't know that there was like a way to, to lay out different sizes, like the way that this AI system is. Is that what you're saying on Photoshop? You can do it? You take up a smart layer and let's say you put your hero image on the smart layer. And then you take that smart layer and you position it on different PSD, different Photoshop files, each sized up to the different sizes of your executions. Then whatever you put on that smart layer, whether it's a cup of coffee or a water bottle or a teddy bear, it's going to go through the smart layer and get resized and placed onto all those PSDs, right? Right. And text can be a smart layer. And if you don't want to use smart layer for text, you can use data merge. Or uh, yeah, we call it data merge. We used to call it mail merge. It's designed for originally basically for business cards. So you have 10,000 business cards because you designed the business card for Microsoft. And, you know, the head of HR sends you over every single name and email contact card and in an Excel sheet. And then you plug the Excel sheet into Photoshop or InDesign and it automatically creates a file. If you have different copy for different ads, or if you have the same copy in different languages for different ads, you can just put them all in an Excel sheet and connect it. And data merge will produce everything you need. It will edit every single document, swapping the text out from the Excel sheet. Oh, wow. Because the thing is, like, the only people who ever do this, this is what they do for a living, right? Like, yeah. I make banner ads all day, every day. Um, <laughs> but if you are using Photoshop to make just the odd one, then you're not going to learn this. And I don't think you should bother. I feel like by the time I learn it and master it, AI will already take over <laughs> that job function. I don't think anyone ever really learns and masters. Like I was just talking to um, Scott McMahon from uh, Great Canada. He has been using Photoshop since it started in like 88, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's been on like the product advisory teams and he's been a beta tester. And he said he would be surprised if he knew what 60% of the features in Photoshop are. And I would be surprised if I know what 40% of the f features in Photoshop are, right? Like I use Photoshop for photo editing. Some people use it for drawing. Like I've never painted anything in Photoshop. That's a whole workflow. That's a whole discipline that I know nothing about, despite knowing very, very deeply about anyway. You get the idea. No, totally. You learn as you go and you learn it for whatever you're using it for. Yeah, that's why I hate those freaking bar charts in people's resumes. Oh my goodness, yes. I feel like you guys need to emphasize that people shouldn't be using that on their resume. I do. I do. People don't believe me. People think their resume has to be an experimental design project when it should probably be the only, it should be the most like prescriptive and simple and basic piece of design in your portfolio. No, but really, like your portfolio will show skills that you have. Your resume should just have good typography and we should be able to read what's on it. Oh God, say it louder. And also, I studied HR and the most important thing that I learned from that was your resume will probably go through an ATS system and you want to make sure that it's friendly for those systems. And those little yes. bar charts that people are adding to their resumes, it's not going to, the computer's not going to register it. No, uh, some, there's some people who even recommend do, you should be doing it in Microsoft Word because it produces the most ATS friendly um, output. Yeah, I've heard that. But I think as long as it translates into PDF and you're able to copy and paste from it, the system should still be able to recognize everything in it. You're right. One thing that people do wrong in InDesign is they create a text box for every single thing. Like every heading is its own text box. Every subheading is its own text box. Every bullet is like its own text box. And InDesign. <laughs> Yeah, you should never do you should never do that. You should have at, 
you should have I a purpose of using InDesign. Yeah, thank you. Yes, but the, the, so the problem is once you have all those text boxes, the ATS just sees a bunch of boxes. Like we see a visual order because we're humans, we see top to bottom, left to right. But the ATS just sees text boxes and it doesn't know what order to read them in. So people are making their resumes in InDesign using half a dozen text boxes or more, and they can't figure out why the ATS is unable to scan. Oh, no. Yeah. And the, the, the other part is if um, that's also bad for accessibility. Um, so I'll just bring this 360. If you design your resume with accessible design principles, then you also create them ATS friendly, which is really nice. I think it was like a career development course where we had to make our resume for. And so I, I remember seeing a lot of those bar charts in our when we were presenting our resumes. And I remember thinking, oh, shoot, I don't have those bar charts in there. And they don't read like someone with 20 years experience. They don't think you're an 8 out of 10 in anything. They don't think you're a 5 out of 10 in anything. I don't think I'm an 8 out of 10 in anything. So either you're honest and you, you broadcast that you're not knowledgeable or you're a liar and you broadcast that you are. Assigning a numerical value to their skill sets because as a student, you're always assigned one in your, as a grade, right? Yes. So maybe that's how it translates when they're trying to build out resumes when you're a student. I've created monsters is what you're saying. Yes, it's all your fault, Eric. <laughs> Interesting how it's like a Stockholm syndrome. People hate it. Like, I don't want to be graded like on a scale of one to a hundred, but when they have to do it for themselves, that's exactly what they go to. It's because that's what they've learned. That's all they know. That's all they know. And it's the only opportunity to give themselves a grade. So give myself an eight out of 10 in Photoshop. Probably. I noticed in our program, we actually don't use Photoshop a lot. I noticed we used a lot of Illustrator and InDesign um, and we learned a lot of print we did a lot of like out of home and print mm -hmm. um, and then when i got to my job and i started doing art direction it was almost all photoshop like mm -hmm. building out banner ads creating mock-ups um designing like social posts even those things were all on photoshop so mm -hmm. yeah that was a big change and a learning curve for me because I really wasn't that well versed in Photoshop. And I remember being really nervous about that too. When I had gotten my job offer at Zulu, I'm like, I know that there's such a high caliber of work here and I don't feel good enough. And if I'm going to be able to create the kind of work that they're putting out there. And I remember just like watching a whole bunch of YouTube tutorials before I started my job to learn as much Photoshop as I possibly could. Photoshop's still big with digital. A lot of work is digital focused. Like I rarely had to do anything with print except for like certain out of homes. But even then, like that's not that common. Even things that are print heavy. So for example, package design, they do a lot of work in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that because someone from a, one of the biggest package design companies in Canada, I said, what's something that you wish students were learning more about. She said, I wish they understood more about Photoshop. And she said, I wish they understood more about resolution and DPI and file size, which are obviously Photoshop things, right? Because exactly. you're not usually dealing in vector. So yeah, um, it's complicated. And even some of the feedback that I heard from like creative directors who are looking at portfolios was that it was a lot of print and that's just not where like the industry is headed. 
it's a lot more digital, but they didn't see a lot of that in, in the portfolios that they saw. I'll be sure to remember that. I know like we have social media course, which obviously is entirely digital. I, w I wouldn't say print advertising is dead, but it's a shadow of its former self. Yeah, I think it's good to know, but I did notice that a lot of our courses were very print heavy. Like, do you like print? Te do you mean print technology? Yeah, like print techniques and like going to the printing house and having a file print ready. Um, also, a lot of our executions were like print based, like the execution was an out of home or uh, a magazine. Yeah. As to like digital banners or a promotional like social media post um or like a digital stun um or or video format or anything yeah that actually that's that's really good to know because i i do teach type 2 now and i do make it about editorial just because typography for a tiny banner ad is kind of there's just not much to bite into yeah no for sure but i think at the same time i can have some like low investment assignments just like get people to understand how much type fits on a 90 by what's the banner ad like 90 by 728 that's what it is how much how many lines of text can you fit it's not many and it's gonna be very blurry <laughs> yeah it's gonna look like crap yeah so I, I mean i mean you know what i think i need to do that yeah i think i think it'll be beneficial because i i had no idea and like one of my first like projects that i was working on i had to do a variety of banner sizes and I had no idea why it looked so blurry yep. on my screen. And I remember reaching out to you being like, Eric, can you please help me? I think something's wrong with my Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had hopped on a call with me and basically explained why. And I was like, oh, I didn't know the size of a thumb. And that's so blurry. I think had I learned that in my program, it would have set me up for success once I joined as an art director. But I mean, you, you still learn from just trial and error as well. And it's not like a huge learning curve. So yeah, kind of like the end of the world if you don't learn it in your program. There's other people like someone just told me they made a, a trifold in InDesign and they were like, it was exactly what you taught in class, Eric. And I and I felt good. But um, it's like some people are going to be in-house designers and do a lot of these desktop published or direct to print sort of stuff. Some people will not. It's tricky to make sure everyone comes out prepared. Yeah, you're not going to be able to cater to every single person's like career interests and what they end up doing at the mm. end of the program, right? But I think when I was being taught by you, it was mainly like the digital skill sets that we were learning. Like it was like the motion graphics and the UX UI design. Have you done any? Have you had to do any motion? So yeah. I've had to like mock up a storyboard and. Mm -hmm show like in words this typography will animate out from left to right and there will be a slight push in on the image mm -hmm. and xyz but i've not had to actually do it myself but i will say knowing how to do it yourself and and learning that from your course was really beneficial for me because you get to understand how those things work so even though you're not doing it yourself it's just still beneficial to know because you'll have to direct someone else to do it Motion graphics is a, almost a whole separate industry. And sometimes I'm like, are we wasting people's time with this? Well, not at all. I think like it's in fact growing more. And a lot yeah. of things I'm seeing online are also just like animated instead of just static posts. Even just just simple, right? Like the text yeah. comes in. That's it. Like it doesn't have to be a work of art. 
Exactly. And that's the thing of being an art director. Even if you don't have to do it yourself, you should know how to do it. I create something and it goes into production and they send it to you for final approvals and it doesn't look quite how you want it to look. And it's going through a lot of rounds of you giving feedback to be like, oh, no, make it like this. Ultimately, it's easier for you to just take that file and mock it up exactly how you want it and um, and tell them what you did. If you don't know how to do it, it's going to be a lot of back and forth before you finally get to a place that you want it to go. I can put the cherry on top because I know how. I'm not necessarily using the, that skill set, but it's helpful for any kind of motion design that I'm like art directing. I'm a designer. I'm not an art director. I want to work with the person who understands what I'm what I'm going through. I don't want to work with an art director who is basically my client. Exactly. It's frustrating and it makes it makes the job quicker and makes the job painless. And it makes me want to be on that person's team for the next project. And you, if you're an art director, you want to be the person who the good designers want to work with. You like, you know? Yeah, exactly. And usually you're working like side by side with your designer and you want to be able to communicate your ideas effectively in order to do good work and if you don't know what you're talking about that process is going to take a lot longer and it's going to be a lot harder this goes for so many things now i think of it like i i am also a front-end developer and when i'm working on a web design if you know about html and css it is really nice when you are working with a developer on the project who is actually going to code it out um so you know it's not just this one example of this synergy um it goes out over anything you learn the more you the more you know a little bit then the better you are going to be to work with for other people so what are next steps i know you're happy at, at zulu and it's an awesome place to be i don't expect you to say i want to be creative director at Leo um, Burnett. That's not what I'm looking for. Which things at Zulu are the, the assignments you'll take a zero on? And which things are the ones where you're going to put your all into it and have uh, dream revelations about? Maybe this is the time I talk about mentorship. Yeah, great. It's been so beneficial. Like having mentorships since I joined Zulu, I wish that everybody had a, had a mentor when they joined any creative field. So they have a program within Zulu where they'll set you up? I think a month into it, they assigned us to our respective mentors and you meet with them and you just kind of discuss whatever you want to. If you want to ask for advice, you can. If you want to just rant, you can. It was really, really helpful to me when I was uh, starting out. And even now as a, a little bit more seasoned junior creative, it's I still have that mentorship. The reason I think everyone should have a mentor is not just like for the advice and guidance, I know a lot of people are scared of asking the wrong questions or scared of looking stupid for not knowing something. And a mentor will kind of provide that kind of safe space for you to ask those dumb questions. Um, sometimes like I'll be designing something and I don't know how to do something. And the worst part is when you can't YouTube or Google how to do something because you don't know what the name is. Like you don't know. what it's. <laughs> so at, at that point, you need to kind of ask that question my mentor has also like shared with me the work that they're working on and that's always been a source of inspiration for me and a way to kind of like push me when I'm feeling like the work that I'm doing is not interesting enough or not meaningful enough because you will do a lot of those smaller projects just being a new creative in that industry and being a junior there's a lot of banner ads and social posts 
and you're not going to get 360 campaigns and activations and stunts right off the bat. But when you're able to see the projects that they're working on, you're able to draw a lot of inspiration from it and get the motivation to think of those ideas on your own because this industry is a lot of doing proactive ideas, which is essentially ideas that are outside of briefs and you just come up with them on your own. And that's how you can really exercise a lot of like creative freedom when it comes to making work that that you're going to want in your book. Which is important. Exactly. It's the most important, probably. I'm happy you brought this up because a lot of students feel, I don't know, awkward about mentorship or like they're kind of like really like another thing. But it's <laughs> amazing and really useful and will just accelerate your career if you take it seriously. In our program, it was one of our assignments to reach out to people on LinkedIn that we wanted to be mentored by and find a mentor. And a lot of people didn't want to do it. <laughs> they found it weird to yeah. randomly just message people on LinkedIn and be like, hey, want to be my mentor? As a person who does not like going out into the world, I get I get that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I recognize the value of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, thank you to places like um, Zach who are willing to do that. A lot of people are willing to, not just willing, but they want to mentor young creatives. Also, being a student, there is never a better time to seek out help and mentorship because people are really willing to help students more than they're willing to help a recent grad, I would say. I find even now people are helpful. Like, like when I, if I'm working on something and I have questions, I can email so many friends in the industry who always have time. Everyone always makes time to help each other out. Cool, you are being a mentor to many, many new designers and art directors. Uh, thank you so much, this has been, this has been great. No worries, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me.